right, welcome back. Another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz. This is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us the Senior Vice President at UBS and partner of Touchstone Wealth Partners, Stefan J. Contorno. Stefan, how you doing? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you? Doing great. You are looking sharp as always, my friend. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate you saying that, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to value pack these 18 minutes, and I know we're going to do that. So let's jump right in. Before we get into the what of what you do, I want to know about the who. Tell our viewers, who is Stefan J. Contorno? Well, thank you for asking. And uh, so on a, on a personal note, I am a husband to a wonderful wife of many, many years. And I'm also the father of two children, uh, both in their teens. So I'm very blessed on the personal side. On the business side, as you mentioned, I'm a senior vice president and financial advisor with UBS Wealth Management. UBS is actually the largest global wealth management firm in the world. And within the firm, I'm actually a partner on a team called Touchstone Wealth Partners. We're one of the largest teams in the firm, as well as just in the United States in the wealth management business. Uh, we're a little bit unique. We manage about $4.2 billion in client wow. assets. And that's as of last June 30th. And uh, we have offices in three locations. We have an office where I am right now in Southwest Florida, as well as Ohio and Manhattan as well. Wow, fantastic. Those are some staggering numbers. So talk to us a little bit about financial planning, uh, about the process and the benefits to entrepreneurs. Yeah, we are huge believers when it comes to financial planning. And what we do is more comprehensive and detailed financial planning. So let me give you a little bit of an outline, because a lot of times when people ask this question, or when I just simply ask, do you have a financial plan? The quick response is usually, yes, I do. I sat down with my advisor. We came up with a little bit of an investment plan of how we should do things, and we went ahead and implemented it. Well, it's a lot more than just doing that. So typically what we do in our team, we have several certified financial planners who work as part of a team with our clients. And here's what we do, Dan. We basically take a look at all the assets. So everything our clients own, whether it's real estate, whether it's their uh, actual stock market type of investments. And then we take a look at their liabilities, everything that they owe from mortgages to car loans, whatever it may be. Then the dreaming starts. That's when we sit down with our clients and we ask them specific questions like, what's important to you? What do you want to accomplish throughout the rest of your life? Maybe we want to retire at a certain age or Maybe we want to live off a certain amount of income on a monthly basis, or for some people, when they retire, they want to do some traveling. All of these things are important. You know, one thing I've learned in over 20 years of, of providing financial advice is that we all view money differently, and everybody likes sure. to do different things with their money. So once we do that, we then determine, we kind of work backwards, where we determine how much of a return do our clients need to make on an average annual basis in order to achieve everything that they put on paper that's important to them. Now, sometimes we have good news to deliver and we tell them they're in great shape. Um, right. We do that a lot with our second opinion service and that's always fun, but sometimes clients need to make certain adjustments. And if you catch it early enough, it's a smarter way to proceed because this is why planning, people say, what age should you start? The earlier, the better. Um, sure. This way you have time to make those adjustments. So once we do that, we then determine more of a sweet spot allocation of how we should invest the funds, how much should be in stocks and bonds and cash, and then we drill it down among sectors and various asset classes, and then we implement the strategy. Awesome. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, my fiance is actually a financial advisor as well, and uh, my okay. oldest daughter just turned 12 this month. We opened her up an UGMA account, and it was incredible to me 
to watch her ask these questions about trading and, you know, what happens if I want to buy this many shares of Apple, but there's only this many available? And how do I make money? And what is a dividend? And for me, I just, as a father, it felt so great to see her wheels turning, right? And to know that that money that, sh- that we're investing for at, at the age of 12, when it comes time for her to buy a house or when it comes time to her to you know do whatever she's going to do in, in, in 15 or 20 years, that is really such an impactful investment right now for her. That, that really is. One thing she has on her side is time, right? Yes. And clearly we know over time markets, uh, if invested properly, tend to do very well. It's good that you're doing that, by the way, because we tell our clients with their kids and their grandkids, get them involved as early as possible yes. because things like that. Now you can have conversations. Obviously, I guess investing in the market has become a little bit more interesting for younger people these days because there's a lot of headlines of certain yeah. stocks. but. But it's a great way to get kids involved, and then they could start to follow whether it's, it's certain stocks or mutual funds or bond, whatever it may be. It's just a great way to introduce them to the markets. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about the markets. You know, these last twelve months really have made some heads spin, right? I mean, you look at at this time last year, the Dow is at record high, twenty eight thousand. Then all of a sudden, we're having these insane two thousand point days. Market dips to like eighteen thousand, and then all of a sudden, within the same, you know, within twelve months, it's back up, approaching thirty three thousand points. I mean, we've never seen swings like that. So, talk to us about the current state of the market, as well as the economic recovery and what that's going to look like, in your opinion. Well, you're exactly right. It gave me chills thinking and reliving that again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are some wild swings. And, you know, uh, I've been I've been through the late 90s and the, the tech bubbles and the Trade Center and various types of, you know, the Great Recession of 2008. So I've seen a lot, but you never you've never seen it all. Right. I mean, there's right. always something different. No one saw the uh, pandemic coming. But you're right. You go back 12 months ago, we were at record highs. Unemployment was at 3.5%. We were basically saying how almost, for the most part, most people who want to work can work. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit. The markets dropped, as you mentioned, thousands of points every single day. People panicked. um, And and we've never seen anything like that. So it's important to relive that and think about what that is, because that leads us to where we are today. And there were a few measures that were taken very quickly that I think helped get us where we are. One is certainly the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve acted very, very quickly. Fed Chair Jay Powell stepped in and they lowered interest rates to near zero percent. I mean, you know that well, you know, in your industry, they lowered rates tremendously. Then the government stepped in as well and started creating fiscal packages and stimulus packages. As we know, in December, there was a $900 billion package and we just had a $1.9 trillion package that came out. The Federal Reserve also, by the way, very important, they actually went in and started buying bonds that was a way to keep liquidity in the system. So they acted very quickly. So what happened was we hit a point, and I was actually uh, I was actually doing an interview like this on on television where I said right around now last year that we are seeing what I think is a generational opportunity. For anyone who has a longer time horizon, it was a perfect moment to start getting into the market and putting your cash to work. Yeah. Now, nobody can claim when the bottom is going to hit. I certainly cannot. Um, we were pretty close. And, uh, and our, what we did in that situation was we reallocated our clients and took advantage yes. of the lower markets. And that's the key. Some people, as you know, overreact when the markets drop. And their thinking is usually the opposite of what it should be, right? It goes back to Warren Buffett when he said, when people get greedy, he gets fearful. When people get fearful, he gets greedy. So <laughs> here we are. We've made an improvement. Now, I will tell you that 3.5% unemployment, 
back last April actually went up to 14.7 percent. There were layoffs. There were furloughs. Things got really bad. And and don't get me wrong. We're not out of the woods yet by by any means. But we are now back down to 6.2 percent unemployment. We have a long way to go. But a lot of progress has been made in this recovery. And what about the, the, the underlying fundamentals of our economy? Because we were in a super strong economy going into the pandemic. Obviously, when you take a system and shut down everything, right, it's going to be incredibly disruptive. But, but what about right now? How are the underlying fundamentals of our, of our economy? They're still pretty good, but there's room to go. I mean, one of the things we're seeing, Dan, is we are seeing pent up demand. Everybody's yes. starting to discuss what's this going to be like when they open up the gates and everybody is back to whatever normal is again. And that's the key thing. So I mentioned about all the money that's been flowing into the system. Um, and it's just starting to make its way through from these stimulus checks, right? As that continues, that is going to create what could potentially be a very strong economy. We did a survey recently just to kind of get an idea of what things are going to look like when we get back to whatever normal may be. Um, As we know, there were various industries that got hit very, very hard during the pandemic. One is certainly the movie theater experience. So I don't know if you enjoy going to the movies, but a lot of people do. So what we did was we went out and we did a survey and we said, how often or how soon do you see yourself going back to the movie theaters? And about 50% of those responded that within the next six months, they believe they will go back to to see movies. So that is really important. The other thing is, if we look at it, even if in a worst case scenario, only half the people are willing to do the certain activities that they did before the pandemic, they'll easily make up for the half that won't just simply because we're going to start doing more of what we like to do. I think vacations is another great example. Everybody's waiting to go on vacation. We're starting to see bookings go up quite a bit. Rather than taking maybe a once a year vacation, we may very well see people start taking two or three vacations right out of the gate just because they're tired of being home and they're ready to move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we've accumulated a good amount of dry powder in a lot of people's you know, bank accounts with these incredible you know, stimulus packages. And you know, I, I've watched some of your interviews as well, which and, and they're they're incredibly informative, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show as a guest. And I, I've heard you speak you. about you know revenge traveling and revenge spending. What do you what do you think that's going to look like uh, moving forward? Yeah, I, I think certainly those industries that I mentioned. So so definitely the the, the movie m- movie theaters. I mean, again, there was a pivot in the film industry. They actually had to get mm-hmm. films out to us, right? Video on demand. And the question was, would anyone ever go back to a movie theater again? And again, our data showing is showing that people are going to do that. I think restaurants are another great example, right? Certain parts of the country have been able to dine in and out, but other parts haven't. So about 72% of the people we surveyed within the next six months believe that they will start going back to restaurants. Here's here's one thing that's important. It kind of goes into your expertise, certainly not mine. But that's real estate. And I know you're 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 very, very well versed when it comes to commercial real estate. But I will tell you on the residential side, okay, over the next twelve months, those that we surveyed, about a third of them actually told us that they plan on moving from their home. Really? That's really good news for realtors. So a third. And the reason, as we know, is many people live in major cities and I'm not saying this is the end of major cities, but people want space. Now we have home offices and different ways of working. And I was going to actually ask you and your input, but on the commercial side, I mean, what are your thoughts? Because I know that's a little bit trickier and there are various schools of thought. I mean, what are you seeing as far as that? 
Yeah, so I mean, in terms of where we're at right now, snapshot wise, the market is white hot. Any of those uh, sectors of the commercial real estate space that were, so to speak, essential retailers, um, the cap rates have actually compressed. The, the returns have actually, you know, you know, gotten lower. The prices have actually gotten higher, which is good for the market. That's kind of how that's the barometer of of uh, pricing for us is, is is cap rates. So, you know, the those sectors like dollar stores and pharmacies. And a quick service restaurant with a drive-through and auto auto parts stores—they've all seen increase in price and decrease in cap rate. And you know, right now the main theme is is quality inventory is a, fi- a flight for quality. People are really looking towards those longer-term leases with the stable tenants, and they're willing to pay more for them. Uh, thing is, is that the market is as sparse in terms of inventory. It's hard to find inventory. Properties that are going up in the market are selling very quickly. I just sold a quick service restaurant. We had multiple uh, very, very attractive offers within the first day. Uh, very, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, people waiving contingencies. In some cases, investors are going hard. Their, uh, you know, earnest money deposit is non-refundable on day one. We're seeing the wow. uh, closing period and due diligence periods being shortened to make the aggressive the offers more aggressive. Where that will go long term, I think, depends on a variety of factors. It depends on what's going to happen with the 1031 exchange. It depends on what's going to happen with capital gains taxes. And frankly, it depends on what's going to happen with interest rates. So personally, if I was looking in a vacuum and I saw you know, the 10-year Treasury go up 100 basis points in, in a matter of, of only a couple months, I'd be very concerned. Now, as a broker looking at the market, I don't see it impacting the market yet. I think that the inventory supply is so low, and I think that the this flight to quality is so strong that it's not impacting the market pricing yet, but it really should. And the same thing in the residential space, right? You know, I, I was I'm considering refinancing my home and I've looked at the, you know, 30 year fixed only a few months ago was, you know, two point seven and today it could be, you know, three and a half. But prices continue to go up. So I think that there is a major disconnect in both the residential and the commercial space between interest rates and pricing. And to me that has me a little bit concerned. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, historically, 3.5% mortgage rate is, is pretty attractive, right? Still but is, yeah. Like you said, 2.7. But when you go from 2.7 to 3.5 percentage-wise, that's a huge difference. It is. It's funny. One thing you mentioned as well, and I appreciate you you letting me know that, um, the flight to quality, I think, is is the same when it comes to, to equity investments. I mean, right now, during the pandemic last year, you know, we ended up having a really good year in the markets last year considering how stressful of a year it was and how uncertain it was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what led the way were technology stocks, the big ones, sure. the stay-at-home oh, yeah. stocks. And now, just same with, with, with our business, we're seeing now a flight to quality. The more large cap or large companies that pay good dividends, they're now starting to shine. So we're seeing a rotation, which is something probably last August or so, I started cautioning investors about getting ready for that rotation, starting to, and this is not calling for the end of the, the, the tech growth uh, boom as well. I mean, there's still great values in technology, but it does make sense to start looking at value and more dividend-paying stocks. Yeah, totally. And anytime there's uncertainty, I think people are attracted to stability, right? It makes us feel more comfortable. So I've got a question for you on Absolutely. that on that note. I want to talk about inflation because as a commercial real estate broker, many times the rental escalations that are built into a lease are capped at CPI, at the consumer pricing index, at inflation. Right. So like for example, I have a deal right now, a Wendy's deal that, you know, the rental escalations are tied directly into CPI. So 
you know, if we see inflation increase dramatically, that could have an, an effect on the valuations that we have on our commercial properties, uh, because in fact that'll determine what the rental bumps will be. You know, every year, every five years, or every ten years. What's your outlook on inflation? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question, and um, that—that's what you hear about. That's a headline news story right now. Is inflation? That's sure. what's causing a lot of the volatility in the markets right now. As you mentioned, with the long-term interest rates going up, it's starting to spark those inflation questions and concerns. The Federal Reserve actually came out last week, and uh, they spoke about inflation because it's a hot topic. They're forecasting at the end of 2023 that they believe inflation will be around 2.1 percent, a little higher than where it is today. So, and that's, and by the way, that's in line with our expectations as a firm. We think it'll still be somewhat moderate when it comes to inflation. We don't see high inflationary uh, periods here. Were you going to say something? Yeah, like how can that be? I mean, trillions and trillions of dollars printed. It just doesn't make sense to me how inflation could stay yeah, in yeah. where it was. Well, it's a great, great point, and you're right about that. It takes a while for the money and these trillions of dollars to get into the system mm. and to actually get out there. So there will be a lag as far as that. But I will tell you one thing, and this this is for sure. I mean, moderate inflation and not excessive inflation, but moderate inflation tends to be a very good thing for the stock market. And that's one of the beliefs that we still believe equity and stocks in general, if you select it properly, will continue to do well. I will. I will tell you. Um, you know, the markets over the last since the Great Recession, the last 12, 13 years, have really pretty much gone up, right? Uh, sure. in, in, in somewhat of a straight line, with some bumps in between, obviously last year. But I will tell you that this is one of the trickiest markets I've seen in mm-hmm. my career, and sure. uh, and I think investors, I think investors who have been relying on the fact that anything you invest in will go up. Uh, I'm going to have a surprise. So this is where we're encouraging. We do a lot of second opinion services. And I think, you know, we have clients all over the, the country and we do a lot of these second opinions. And we're finding that investors are way heavily weighted or concentrated in certain areas like technology, right, where they need to be a lot more diversified. And that worries me as a financial advisor. Sure. Well, listen, Stefan, you've been an incredible guest. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today on this episode of Dan on Top. Thank you for having me, Dan. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.